Put your hands together. Come on, give a big Lord's house welcome to Brother Leo Price. Hallelujah. Come on down. Hallelujah. <laughs> Take your liberty. There's no time limit. You just go till you're done. <laughs> like you really mean it. Tell some, glad you're here. Amen. It's an honor to be here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having, allowing me to come and be a part of what the Lord is doing here at the Lord's house. I believe in Jesus. And I believe he's alive. And I believe he's here. And I'm thankful for that because I don't want to be anywhere where he's not. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. Such an honor to be here. Uh, thank you, Pastor Samuel and Amy. Thank you for uh, the invitation. And uh, what a wonderful celebration, anniversary and a birthday, back to back. Amen. Um, I, as Pastor has said, Paula sends her apologies. She tried to get in yesterday, but the flights were canceled because of the storms. And uh, she was flying. If she would have flown, it would have been about 30,000 feet in the air. But I was flying close to the ground. And... Uh, glad to be here. I promise to be brief no matter how long it takes me. <clears throat> this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday that we had in celebration of the life of Christ, I'm sitting in my office <clears throat> knowing that I'm going to be speaking on Easter Sunday. I was in Austin, Texas on that weekend. And uh, I was in my office and I was studying. I, uh, I'm very, very fortunate. My wife has an office on one end of the house and I have my office on the other end of the house. So when she starts singing and playing the piano, I, uh, she doesn't bother me. And when I start preaching my message, it doesn't bother her. And so that works out good. But I'm in my office and I'm studying uh, for the Easter uh, weekend, Resurrection Sunday. And I thought back while I was doing that, looking at the scripture, uh, this coming July, I will start my 56th year of full-time ministry working for the Lord. Wow. Thank you. No. And I said that to, to, that rolled over my mind how many resurrection Sundays that I'd preached. Obviously, it would be 55 and 56 uh, is coming. I've preached probably every Easter that I can remember in those years I read a scripture and when I did I had to push myself back away from my desk because it leaped off of the page at me I'm going to read the scripture to you and, and we'll talk about it just for another two or three hours but uh, I, I was amazed that it that it did what it did to me. It was a, it was a moment. It was an epiphany. It was a, it wasn't a revelation. It, it was an awesomeness. It was something uh, that I'd read before, something that I'd ministered on before, something that I've told other preachers and other people and, and talked about it. But something that day leaped off of the page at me and changed my perspective. I've I've, I've preached on it so many times that. Uh, sometimes if we're not careful, at least in, in my mental realm, 
I can preach on something so many times that after a while it becomes somewhat mundane or, com- or, or commonplace. And it shouldn't be. But I read this scripture. In the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 11, you just find these simple words. Probably everybody in this room has read it, talked about it, or mentioned it. It simply says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Now, the ownership there, when He said He came unto His own, He came to those who should have been ready for him came unto his own those who should have known him shouldn't had shouldn't had to been a question there was there shouldn't have had to been any speculation there shouldn't have had to be any kind of uh wondering they should have known he said he came unto his own it's like um going to your mom and dad's house for dinner or a relative for dinner you they should know that you're coming they i mean that's part of the program i uh, I mean, when I was going home to visit my mother or my, my family, and I, they, they knew I was coming. I would let them know that I was coming, and they made preparations so they weren't surprised. But he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The words that came off of the page were not just the words uh, his own, or not, or not his own received him not, but the words he came leaped off of the page, just it like it grasp me and begin to roll over on the inside of me. I begin to have a more vivid picture of Christ's coming. Now I know that we, we've heard the message on the resurrection. We've, we've heard the, mes- the message many, many times over, but it began to have a new kind of uh, emphasis in my life that I'd never had had before, or maybe I had lost it, and now it's becoming impacting. I thought about Jesus when he left Jericho after he healed blind Bartimaeus. And, he, and he'd done several miracles in, in Jericho. On, and then on Friday before uh, the resurrection, on Friday, he walks, intense walk from Jericho to Bethany. He walks 15 miles to get to Bethany. And when he gets to Bethany uh, on Saturday, he has dinner with Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Now, that may be commonplace to you, but when I get to think about Lazarus being raised from the dead, Jesus waited four days to get there and raise him from the dead. Now he's having dinner with him. I don't know how you'd think about that, but if I saw Jesus who raised somebody I knew from the dead, I'd be all instruct. I would be, uh, I would be just um, in amazement to seeing Jesus sit down with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Then watching Mary come up to Jesus and wash his feet and break open the alabaster box. And, and, and you, you know the story, but he, she washed his feet. And then there was, and then there was uh, uh, those that were around him that were not uh, happy about that. When you think about uh, Judas... Judas, as a matter of fact, he was so bold sitting at dinner, he, he, he said to Jesus, Jesus, how, how could you let her wash your feet and break that alabaster box open? That could have been sold and, and the, the poor could have been taken care of. And the Bible says he said that because he was a thief. That's pretty bold. 
That's pretty bold to say to the Son of God, uh, you know, listen, we, we shouldn't, you shouldn't have done that. that. That's pretty bold to say to Jesus, who is he's in the house of Lazarus, whom he just raised from the dead. That's pretty bold to say to Jesus, hey, J.C., we could have sold that and took care of the, the poor. But the Bible says he said those things not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Then Jesus gets up the next day and he marches two more miles into Jerusalem. And the people have gathered at Bethany and they're walking in with him. And then he gets to Jerusalem and and the crowd comes, man. They come and they're thrilled and they're shouting, Hosanna to the king. And they're praising, they're laying down their garments and their palm branches. and, And Hosanna, singing Hosanna to the king of kings. The very crowd is singing Hosanna to the king of kings. And just a little while is going to be saying crucify him. See, it's, it's easy if you don't know he came to his own to disown him. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching really well from the beginning. I preached on the, on the, on the uh, uh, Jesus having the crown of thorns on his head, putting those crown of thorns on his head. They did it in mockery, but Jesus took those crown of thorns and was taking the curse off of Adam that, that God said, Adam, from now on, you're going to have to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to deal with the thorns and the thistles. But on this day, Jesus took the thorns and the thistles in his brow and broke the curse of the adversary that he, you might be blessed in the kingdom of God they meant it for mockery but he he took it as king listen because you mock him doesn't make him any less a king they crown that crown of thorns on his head and and they I preached on that crown seen it uh, in in uh, in in at the cathedral there in, in Europe, they, they think they have the original crown of thorns. I don't know whether it is or not. But a priest, when the, the, the place went on fire, the cathedral of Notre Dame was on fire, a priest ran back in and grabbed that crown of thorns and brought it out to save it. But he doesn't need a crown of thorns now. A priest on the nail scars in his hands. I don't know how you look at that. That was the Roman custom of nailing. They took nine-inch spikes and drove it not, not into the wrist that some would like to make uh, uh, emphasis on, but through the palms of his hands to remind us of what Isaiah said when God prophesied through him. He said, I have graven thy image on the palms of my hands. Graved your, your image with those nails. I preached on that. I preached on the pier's side and blood and water came out. Then I had this impacting thought that stirred me. I hadn't looked at it before. Having preached on all those things, I'd never preached, never talked about. When they took the feet of Jesus and put the left one over the right one and drove a nine-inch spike through his feet into into the tree. When I saw that, I reminded of the words out of Isaiah chapter 52. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of them that bring good news. And the good news bearer was having his feet nailed to the tree. You're not impressed with that. Let me know when you are. I'll change subjects. Did you, did you know that, when they, that 25% of the bones in your body are in your feet? 
on the bottom of every, every foot, on the bottom of every foot is 7,000 nerve endings that go to every organ of your body and every system of your body. When they nailed Jesus' feet to the tree, they were saying, you're never going to preach again. You're never going to bring good news. We're going to make sure you don't ever walk again. The devil thought he had conquered him. But when they buried him in the tomb, Jesus walked out of the tomb. You're going to have to excuse me while I shout here because the devil had thought he'd won. They crucified him, drove that spike into his feet and broke the ligaments and the bones and severed the nerve endings. But when they put him in the tomb, Jesus got up and he walked to the spirits in prison. He walked into the bowels of hell. And then three days later, the grave was opened up and the stone rolled away and he walked out. Why did he walk out? So he could walk into your life. So he could walk into your difficulty. So he could walk into your heartache. So he could walk into your failure. So he could walk into your mistakes. So he could walk into your degeneration. So he could walk into everything about you. And nothing can stop him because he's king now. He walked. He came came unto his own. His own received him not. They didn't want him. I, I have relatives that don't want me around. I mean, they, they didn't think that I was going to be what I am today. As a matter of fact, they had already had my hereditary lineage lined out. My father was an alcoholic. His father before him and his father before him were all alcoholics. So they had it lined up that when Leo is, uh, uh, gets of age, he'll become an alcoholic just like his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. But somebody else walked into my life. And when they did, it changed everything about me. I thought they'd be happy about that. I, I thought they'd be glad, but some of them didn't like it that I became Christian. Because now my walk is a little different. Okay. He came. Came into his own. His own received him not. I like that. Father Damien was a Roman Catholic priest in the late 1800s from Belgium who felt like he was called. And so in his willingness to do for the, uh, the kingdom of God, he moved to Kalawao uh, in, in, in Malakai in Hawaii. And, and there they had quarantined a place of, of lepers. It was a great leper colony. For 16 years he lived in their midst. He learned to speak their language. He, he uh, bandaged their wounds. He embraced the bodies no one else would touch. He organized schools and bands and choirs. He built homes on the, the lepers so they'd have a place and shelter and could live. He built by himself, by hand, 2,000 coffins so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. He was not careful about keeping his distance. He didn't separate himself from them. He dipped his fingers in the same bowl they ate out of, and he, he dressed their wounds. He took care of them. Didn't always use the best hygiene principles. He would hold them and love them. He got real close. And one day he stood up and began his message. We lepers... He became what they were. Okay. 
Jesus was not a leper. But leprosy had ran rampant throughout the generations and eons of time. When Jesus came, he came to his own. They didn't want him, so he found lepers that needed healing. He found lepers that were laying at death's door. He found lepers that uh, their bodies were falling apart. And he came to them. Why? Because that's what he did. He came. He came to his own. They didn't want him, so Jesus came to people who had nowhere else to go. I like what Paul says on six different occasions. Let's, let, me, let me share with you so you'll grasp it. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, here's what Paul says. God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans 8, 33 again. God spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. Philippians 2, 7. He was made in the likeness of men. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him to be sin for us. Hebrews 7. He became us. I don't know about your life in this room. All I can tell you is I'm glad he came. I don't know what your aspect is. I don't know what you're living for or looking for. But I'm looking to get closer to someone who came into my life that was not ashamed to come into my life. As degraded, as, as disposited on the ash heap of life. And nobody knew it was, was going to be worth anything. They said he'll just be like his father. But Jesus came to an empty vessel. He came to a heart that was broken. He came to a life that had been shattered. He came to a life that the hereditary nature that seemed to be there was instilled in him and everybody thought he'll be just like the rest of them but when Jesus came when he came when he came when he came when he came that's what he did he came came into his own author Eddington was one of the great 20th century mathematicians and astronomers Author Eddington had real difficulty with the Christian faith. His difficulty was the incarnation of God in Christ, God becoming man. He just couldn't fathom that. He couldn't get his brain around that. A mathematician, an astronomer, a philosopher, he just he didn't like Christianity because of that one aspect. How could that be? How could, how could God become man? Why would he become man? One day, author Eddington is out on a beach, and as he's walking along the beach, he notices an, an anthill being built by the ants. And he, he's looking at the anthill, and he, he, he ponders it just for a minute. He, he's, he's wondering because the, the tide is coming in. He knows when the tide comes in that the anthill is going to be washed away, and, and the ants will be destroyed. And he wonders, what could I do? What could I do? How, how could I convey the message to them? I, I don't speak ant language. Don't have a a way and how would I get the message to them? And then it came to him. The only way he could get the message to them was to become one of them. And then he thought to himself, ants don't speak human language. I'd have to learn their language. I'd have to be able to speak in their own language to get the message. And then he thought, but what if they didn't believe me? And then it dawned on him, 
why God came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in a moment's time, author Eddington, with all of his mathematician prowess and with all of his astronomy behind him, realized that the reason Jesus came, God in Jesus, God became man because the only way he could uh, uh, get the message out, the only way that he could uh, converse with us was to become one of us, to talk like we talk, to be like we are all. And to, and to understand us, and that's why he came. And I read that scripture in John 1:11. He came to his own, and suddenly it leaped off of the page and hit me in the chest, wrapped its arms around me, because the only way he could communicate with me is to come and be like me. I could probably, I would have never been able to talk on the same levels. Two words. Seven spaces on a printed line he came. He came to us who were alienated because of our leprosy. We, we were marked and marred. We were ugly and disfigured. We, we were not even embraced by any other culture. Anybody else, people looked at us differently. But Jesus came and said, I'll take you just like you are. You're a mess. I know you're a mess. You know you're a mess. All your family knows you're a mess. Everybody that doesn't know you thinks you're a mess. But I come to take care of the mess. Because if I, if, if you listen to my message, it'll take care of the mess age. Oh, yeah. Something you can think about as you go on. All the great thinkers of the world together could never produce anything that could even remotely approach the wonder and the profoundness disclosed in the message that he came. In 1952, uh, the philosopher uh, Mortimer Adler, with 50, with 90 other editors, created 55 volume series for the Encyclopedia Britannica, entitled "The Great Books of the Western World." Upon completion, he was asked why the work included more pages under the subject of God than any other topic, and he replied, "It's because more consequences for life and action." follow from the affirmation or denial of God than any other basic question today. What do you do with this man they call Jesus? You don't have to like him. You don't have to accept him. You don't have to believe in him. But you cannot ignore him. He will not go away. He came 2,000 years ago to change you from what you were to what he wants you to be. And trust me when I tell you, you've not yet arrived. If you think you've arrived, you wouldn't be here. There's something more to do. There's something more that needs to be said. Something more that needs to happen in our lives. Something that needs to change us. We need to be changed from the inside out. Changes forever because he's the one that counts. I wish my wife were here. She would, could do what I'm about to do. So I'm not, not even going to try to compare it. I like Squire Parsons. Sing an old song years ago. Nobody sings it or hears it. It's just my thing. But he wrote a song that went like this. The gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord. It was so vast, the crossing I could never afford. 
From where I was to his domain, it seemed so far. I cried, dear Lord, I cannot come to where you are. He came to me. He came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. That's why he died on Calvary. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. At the Louvre in Paris, France, there's a painting by Rembrandt. I love Rembrandt's paintings because he did things in his paintings that were different than a lot of people. But Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son was one of those paintings that I, that I watched, that I looked at. I couldn't take my eyes from it. It shows the prodigal son kneeling at his, at his father's feet, wrapped his arms around his father, and his father's leaning over, wrapping his arms around his son. Rembrandt paints ever so slightly a light coming down and shining on the prodigal son. His emphasis was, was simply this, that the father was wrapping his arms around the prodigal and welcome him back. Oh, man. How many times have we been prodigal? I know nobody here in this church is like that, but I'm practicing on you for the next church that I'm going to. How many of us have strayed away? Till, and the words, he came, he came. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to come. He's the son of God. He could have erased the whole mess. If it had been me, I'd have probably said, Oh, Lord, send the fire. I'm kind of like Elijah. I like fire. (laughs) I mean, I I don't have that kind of patience that God had to wait eons of time and then send Jesus, knowing what Jesus was going to go through and knowing that Jesus understood it. Still, He came. He came for you. He came for me. He came for your family. He came for your kids. He came for them when they're stooping on drugs, when they're down and out as an alcoholic. He still comes down. He goes down in the pit with them, puts his arms around them and draws them. Why? He came. He came in your, when you were worthless and unloved and uncared for, when you hated everybody and God, including yourself. Yet he still came to you. He came. And we come to church and we wonder why I'm here this morning. I, I, we wonder, well, I, I do this it's just, it's, I do this every weekend. It's, it's just a common fact. It's time to make the common uncommon. And when you walk into these doors, this is the place He is waiting to bear you up. He came. I'll close with this. The Lord willing, I know you are. He submits to being betrayed, abandoned, lied on, rejected, and ridiculed. He knew that from the beginning, but he came anyhow. Came anyhow. 
So I don't go to church just to make everybody happy. I don't go to church. When I'm home, I go to church. I don't go to church to please anybody. I don't go to church to, to, um, to preach. I go to be fed. I go to be blessed. But I'm going because there's an uncommon effect that's happened in my life. Something changed in me dramatically. I know now where I would have been had not Christ come into my life. And you think that's common to me? No, sir. Because what was uncommon was somebody to love me when I was unlovable. I was a rebel at heart. I like Jesus. James Dean rather than Jesus Christ. Some of you don't know who James Dean Dean is. That's okay. I'm here to tell you that Elvis Presley was not the king. There's only one king and he's supreme and he's alive. Elvis Presley didn't come for me, but Jesus came for me. He came. He came. Let me tell you, in this room today, we need to change our attitude about who he is in our lives. He is extraordinary. He's not average. He's not common. He's not just one of among the many gods. In Islam, the, uh, the prophets of God don't die of these kind of deaths. In Buddhism and Hinduism, they're, they're Stoics. They're, they're, the masters don't, don't die those kinds of deaths. But Jesus said, that's what I came to do. I came to die the death that nobody else would do for you. And why would he do that? I close really this time. I'd do that to make a new creature out of you. So that the old will pass away and behold, all things will become new. He came. He didn't have to. Listen to me. He came. He didn't have to until you understand that he loved you so much that he had to. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. Stand with me to your feet all across this room. Wow. He's more than just a man. He's the need that you have in your life. He can fulfill it. I think probably... I was in the hospital visiting a minister friend of mine's son. I looked at him and I saw what drugs can do to you. They can make organs of your body fail. He's on dialysis, he's on kidney machines, he's on liver machines. But Jesus comes. Touches his body and he opens his eyes. He's not looking for anything but to know more about Jesus. He wasn't looking for his supplier. Uh, yeah. He was looking for somebody that has an answer. Jesus has the answer. Are you ready to have the answer in your life? <laughs> like never before, nothing, nothing the same.